Hi, everybody. I'm Lynn Patrick, Senior Editor, Progressive Grocer, and welcome to Top Women in Grocery, a podcast focused on the trends, topics, and interests that move women forward at grocery retail. We uh, shine a light on extraordinary women in the grocery industry who've had successful careers and interesting lives and make a positive impact on their workplace and their community. And speaking of community, today we're thrilled to talk with Susan Livingston, who is Vice President of Marketing and Purpose for PCC Community Market, uh, who will be sharing her passion for food and successful and equitable food systems. little background on Susan. She joined PCC uh, in 2022, leading the merger of the marketing and social and environmental responsibility teams to form the co-op's first marketing and purpose department. Uh, Susan has more than 25 years of experience in brand marketing and is a social impact leader. She bridged from her early career in public health policy into purpose-driven brand strategy for top consumer brands, including Nike and Whole Foods Market. She earned her master's in health policy and management from John Hopkins University and is a proud University of Washington Husky. So welcome, Susan. Well, hi. Thanks for having me. Happy Women's History Month. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's good timing. If we could do it every week this month, that would be great. (laughs) And at PCC, you really focus on optimizing private sector resources, systems, and teams and to deliver scaled social impact solutions through the triple bottom line business strategy. And can you tell me what a little bit about what that triple bottom line is before we get really started? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, PCC is a co-op. So we operate from co-op principles and we have what you referred to as a triple bottom line model, which means we're focused not only on profit, but on uh, the planet and on people as well. So we balance those things together and make decisions through a filter that involves all three. And that certainly plays right into the the new role that you have there for sure. It does. It does. Yeah. And you've had an interesting career with social impact kind of throughout your career in different facets of the industry. So can you share some specific steps or maybe even some obstacles uh, that you overcame to kind of get to this point and this really important job that you're holding right now? Sure. Well, I question, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, the obvious thing is that um, just balance in life in general. I, I've been a single parent working uh, for about 18 years. I've been a single parent and managing balancing my family with, um, you know, ambitions career-wise and interest career-wise and personally. So that's the ongoing challenge. But in terms of more specific things related to my career and and the actual work, I I think some of the more interesting things in this world to me are anchored in cross-sector partnerships. So we're thinking about not only anchoring in the business world, but how are we sharing that approach and mindset and resources with our partners over in the nonprofit sector? And then how are we working with local government, national government, policy leaders, and then how are we also working with academic sector, whether that's public schools, locally, college, university, or trade schools. And when I think about time I've spent in each one of those those um, sectors, things happen really differently in those places. The way decisions are made, um, the way money is applied, other resources are applied, and uh, it can be hard to work between them to try to build consensus and to move things forward. And that's some of the most challenging work that I, I've led and, and participated in and throughout my career, but it's also to me some of the most valuable because uh, it's really not a, in those in those cases it's not so much about throwing resources at stuff um, or adding you know here's a new, new here's a new nonprofit and here's some money to fix that. It's more about leverage and working together, and it's really hard. It's hard to get people to kind of lift their heads up out of the work they're really focused on and um, thinking about how how we can accomplish more by working together and have stronger impact in the things that we all care about. And that same stuff translates across to work just inside companies I've worked in. So think about working cross-functionally. You've got the folks 
who are super focused on labor and others are focused on balancing shrink and others are thinking about the top line. And it's really hard to get people to come together and to, to not only, um, not only balance their interests with those of others, but also think about how they can work most efficiently and effectively together. So it's an ongoing challenge, but I think women are actually incredibly successful in doing that work as a, as a rule. I think when I think about the work that goes on in uh, micro lending and countries around the world, a lot of those resources, like almost all of them are loaned to women. And, and the data all shows that women are just really exceptional community builders and they were able to mobilize people to work together. And I think some of that same thinking really applies whether you're working cross sector um, or you're working inside a company and working cross-functionally. We get stuff done, right? <laughs> right. We get stuff done. Can't we do? <laughs> That's for sure. And, and, and being in a co-op now, that really kind of naturally fosters that? Or is that, you know, in this aspect of the retail business, is it kind of built in in terms of fostering? Because it's part of the word, right? You know, co-op or, you know, co-op. Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I think there are some pieces that are more that a co-op model is more naturally um, biased toward in there, and some that are more challenging. And, and you know, one thing I notice all the time is we uh, we really invite our stakeholders, whether they're internal or they're our partners or certainly our customers and members, to to tell us what they think and what matters to them, and then they do. So <laughs> we're constantly in this feedback cycle and feedback loop. Where we're really trying to really be open to input on an ongoing basis, yet we're also trying to get stuff done. And we're never going to please anybody. But that's why we really anchor in our vision, mission, and values and really line up every decision against that and that triple bottom line model. And the tension comes around balancing things. Right. It's when, knowing when to lift your head up, right? As you mentioned, I just loved how, I love how you put that because that's, that's super appropriate for, you know, we're all busy in our daily lives with our, with our tasks and then try to come together for this too, but seeing the bigger picture behind it. Exactly. So important. And uh, let's talk a little bit about your passion for food because that really comes through in the work you've done and the work you're doing now. Um, it's an incredible platform for doing things. I love that. And what are some examples of that in terms of the way food provided by grocers and co-ops helps shape public policy and feed people? Yeah, you're, I, I, you're right. I'm very, very passionate about food as a platform. And it's part of the reason I spent so much of my career working in food is that you know, food just isn't optional. So if we can figure out ways to mitigate the barriers to access, then it becomes this crazy enabler to, to people and to communities and systems of people. Um, you know, certainly there's the foodie side of things. We love the creative side of the chefy stuff and all that. But there's also a lot of other facets to food around policy and public health and nutrition and wellness and sustainability and um, it really becomes a really interesting place to play. And again, that's where that cross-sector work comes in because we, you know, it's not just about selling groceries. It's about what's in the product, what's not in the products and how we get them from wherever they're made, raised or grown onto our shelves and, and share them with our customers. And there's a lot to think about there in terms of uh, what could go well and be in alignment with our value system and what could possibly challenge it. And the, you know, the interesting thing is it doesn't just end. We continue to learn more. Um, you know, the, the world around us is changing, science is progressing, some things stay the same. <laughs> right. It's, it's an interesting puzzle to continue to solve. And consumers are so much more engaged and knowledgeable um, at this point, too. So in, in so many ways, it's kind of, it, 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 is it reinvigorate you and some of the work that you do as well? Just, you know, seeing that there's just this, this enhanced interest and, and passion on the end of, of shoppers, too. Absolutely. Yeah, we are actually in the middle of some research right now, just even in the last 
three years, you think about what has changed in the world and, and people's perception about how things work and where they want to apply their, you know, spend their money and how they want to spend their money and how they want to participate in community. And we just can't take it for granted that, that what they, how they felt and acted and wanted three years ago, even that shorter period is consistent with what they want now. And, and we really saw a lot of shift around value of local food systems, local community food systems for consumers and, and increased interest in sustainability. But we, we're still really having rigor around our decision-making and not making decisions based just on feelings. I'm all about instincts and hunches, but also really anchoring into the data and understanding, um, really measuring what people are focused on, what their priorities are, and then making decisions based on that. Absolutely. And your own background in in, public, in health policy, in, in that really, how does that help you with what you're doing now? I'm sure it does in many ways, but what are some, what are some ways that you find most keen? Well, a long time ago, I thought I would want, I wanted to work in infectious disease policy. And I thought I would, you know, work on HIV and TB in these third world countries. And I went out to grad school in, in Baltimore and started studying. And I was there about, I don't know, three weeks when Magic Johnson came out as HIV positive. And it really changed the conversations about HIV from being about third world countries, children, you know, in Africa or um, gay men here in the States and really being more about um, American superheroes. Yeah, I got really interested you know, as the research progressed and we learned more about HIV and how it's transmitted. I got really interested in how, how do we make decisions? And even though we knew more about how the virus is transmitted, we weren't changing our behavior. So I started shifting more into science literacy and kind of large scale public health uh, work around that and thinking how do large groups of people make decisions? And we're trying to get people to do things like add a behavior, like wear a seatbelt or take away a behavior, like stop smoking. And we do a whole bunch of things to try to get at their attitudes and beliefs and then hope that drives behavior. And it turns out that's marketing. So, so you know, it's it's funny how things stitch together. And um, I've really followed throughout my whole career is just leaning into places that I thought were really interesting where I could see change happening Mm -hmm. and trying to thread that needle through to be useful and to learn and grow at the same time. Well, that's fascinating. And then we could have used you three years ago, although you probably know, although being in the food industry and watching this unfold and seeing how sustenance and nourishment played into all of this as we sought to kind of navigate all of that um, and, and what that posed for opportunities and exposed as weaknesses, that had to be fascinating to you too. It really was. And I, I really want to appreciate all the our workers in our stores. That, that frontline work was just an incredibly brave and courageous and sacrificial thing that they did and very, very grateful to them. Um, also really grateful to our local suppliers um, at a time when kind of the, the global supply chain ground pretty much to a halt for a bit there. Our, our local supply chain here at PCC in Seattle was actually really fairly robust. And that was in due in large part to the number of relationships we have with local suppliers who are willing to work with us to build solutions and kind of scrap it out and build a plan together. And, and um, we're really grateful we were able to keep food on the shelves for our customers. Absolutely. And that model kind of played through with other supply chain, supply chain challenges and now um, as well. And who knows what future challenges. I'm going to knock wood there very briefly <laughs> for future challenges, right? Well, yeah. okay. uh, but in PCC has developed this great reputation for community, obviously. But how can grocers and other grocers take a cue from the way you guys work with shoppers as a community that achieves good things? Oh, gosh. Well, we've been at it for 70 years, so we're really proud to be celebrating our 70th anniversary. And we are we have a unique position in that we are the largest community-owned food co-op in the U.S. 
Um, so unlike other grocers, we do send our profits directly back to our members and to into our stores and into the communities we serve. And there, again, that triple bottom line really anchors in the economic, social, and environmental responsibilities that we've all agreed are important. So we're very intentional in the way we support um, our local community food systems. Um, everything we do or sell traces back to our sustainable food production, processing, distribution, and consumption. And all that attaches straight into nourishing the environmental, economic, and social health of our community. Um, really being purpose-driven is really built into how we do business. So, you know, from being, we were the first, one of the first retailers in our region to eliminate plastic grocery bags. And we also have some of the most stringent green building certifications for our stores. And our customers and our, particularly our members know that when they shop with us, they're supporting more than uh, just their food. They're really supporting that conscious impact in, in the shared values. And you have those learnings that other, not that other people are just getting started, but there are some that are really reshaping their ESG plans and all kinds of things, but you've been leveraging decades of experience and, and your inherent model to do that. We started off as a food buying club with a bunch of families, and now we're over 110,000 households strong and growing like crazy. So there's something good happening here, and uh, we're really proud to steward the co-op through this season. And then how can efficient grocery systems help strengthen community food systems and improve food access and equity? Because that's so important, and um, especially in the tough times we're having right now with inflationary environments and SNAP benefits running out in some areas, you know, some of the, the COVID-related benefits running out. How That's so important. So how does that efficient system help that and lift that? Yeah, well, again, we've been at it for 70 years and thinking through um, how, how to be useful around this kind of stuff. So, you know, way back we were, we founded what is now the city of Seattle's pea patch program that really pulled forward organic standards and, and protected local farmlands. Um, we've had a lot of change and impact over the years and we continue to try to do that. And one example was a program called growing for good that, that was, was emerged during the pandemic with a couple of our uh, larger community partners, harvest against hunger. And then the Seattle neighborhood Farmer's markets. Farmer's market. Yeah, I remember reading about that. I think I even wrote yeah. 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 And essentially, there was a, a bridge built between, as the, as the pandemic erupted, somebody on our team um, was receiving calls from our food bank partners and our suppliers. The suppliers couldn't find places to sell their food because the restaurants were shut down and the schools were shut down and suppliers of that size often sold to those, those places. And then our um, food bank partners couldn't get food. There was food was being prioritized for retailers. Retailers were selling out. And, and really what we did is just stitch those two things together and give them a direct um, avenue for selling goods through to, to our um, for food bank partners. Um, so we have been doing that for a full year now, but we'd actually just made a pretty large investment because as the uh, federal funding that was in place for the pandemic starts to be pulled back, we're needing to step in and, and steward that function and help grow it because the model's working great. So we actually just made a uh, commitment of spending $300,000 over the next three years to help um, expand that program and replicate it and really scale it to, to new places. That's fantastic. Something that was probably a very quick and, and rapid kind of shift ended up really having Absolutely. a longer and so tell me a little bit about um, when you came on board to PCC in the new title that you have with purpose in it. And of course, that was purpose, purposefully done. But that is that tell me a little bit about your title and your work and kind of combining that and what you've learned in maybe the close to a year that you've been there. Gosh, it's already been a year. It's crazy. Right? Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Well, um, 
when I, you're correct that when I joined the co-op, we made the decision to consolidate what had been our, our marketing practice, which was anchored in growing the business through in-store retailing, community connection, all those things, and then our social impact function. And those functions in my mind have always been completely compatible. And especially in an environment where we're a co-op, where we are this triple bottom line organization and, and consistently committed to thinking that way, it makes sense to integrate them so that our purpose impact is completely informed by our business and our business is completely informed by our purpose commitments. And the goal is to really use all the marketing channels to bring that storytelling to life so that our members and our all of our stakeholders, our staff, our suppliers, our members can really all participate in that with us and understand how when they shop with PCC, they're really making an impact beyond just their purchase and in the economic impact directly to, to our co-op. And I bet that message is getting across. Have you seen it first, you know, when you talk to customers or when you're out in the stores, is that something that you see how it, how it plays out at that level? It's starting to, yeah, we're working on it and we're taking our time. I mean, we really do believe that we're stewarding something precious after seven decades of building and an unusual time filled with its own pitfalls and opportunities. And we're taking our time to really build out our purpose practice and practicing in, in baby steps as we um, you know, go to market each season for our retail programming, but thinking through lots of new functions really around how we approach our partnership work, how we approach our giving, um, how we leverage our channels for storytelling, what kinds of commitments we're making around justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, how we approach incubation. There's so many interesting things to work on, and, and we're taking our time and getting it lined up properly first, and then we'll be launching the program at the end of this year in a really robust way. And our goal is to not just do a thing and, and talk about it, but it's really to involve our stakeholders in it and have them help us shape it. Um, and we're expecting to... to um, hopefully do a bunch of good stuff, but also to, to learn as we go and, and continue to improve the program. Well, that's the way that's the way we keep on learning. And authenticity is so important for the program as well as for the, the consumers, because they can tell when something's not authentic or it's just words, it's not words. It's this is authentic. This is this is what we're doing, how we're doing and here are the results. Because yeah. that absolutely has to be built into it. And one of the other things I love that um, about your background is that I believe you talk about your career as a jungle gym, not a ladder. And I like super loved that and honed in on that. So Susan, tell me a little bit of what do you, what do you mean by that? And what can we all learn from that? Well, I, I'm borrowing that from a friend who shared it with me a few years ago and I really, I love it. And I, I um, share that with people I work with all the time. And, um, you know, on it, just to be super transparent, I've never been somebody who's had a be, you know, making a beeline with my career to climb, climb, climb and wanting to be CEO and wanting to lead at the very, very top of all the things. I'm a lot more interested in, in thinking about transferable skills and, and transferable knowledge and abilities and, and really what's interesting to me. I mean, life is short. I don't want to spend my life doing something that's not interesting and in my, from my perspective, useful and that can make the best use of whatever gifts I bring to the table. So I don't always focus on what is the next role? How am I going to be promoted? How can I grab my piece of the pie and, and shine super brightly? I'm a lot more interested in kind of working around that jungle gym and thinking about, okay, I've gained this piece of experience. I've learned these things. I have these relationships. And how can I put those to work in a way that's really useful for a next chunk of experience where I can not only contribute, but also learn and grow as I go. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm fairly... Um, I've had a lot of experience over the years. I'm not starting out in my career. And I'm still learning like crazy. And I, I think that's one of the gifts of working in marketing purposes. There's so much changing around us and it's not a static thing. So there's always stuff to learn and new places to apply what I do know and can do um, and new people to partner with that I can learn from and, and support as well. 
So I'm all for the people that want to be CEOs. I, I think they're fantastic and I can hopefully be a good partner to them. But uh, my perspective, my approach has been to think about kind of moving around into the things that are more interesting to me piece by piece. Okay. And that's holistic. And then in, that's so personal for people. And that's the kind of beauty of it is you can find those pieces that mean things to you and move around that kind of, you know, that kind of playground as it is, it might be. And sometimes it's a merry-go-round. It's kind of back to what we talked about earlier, you know, thinking through that cross-sector work. And that's, that's advice I give to um, a lot of people who are looking to just, they're trying to, how can I get ahead of my career? And how can I think forward? You know, how can I find my next opportunity? And sometimes you do your best work at work. And sometimes we do our best work in our personal lives and do a good job at work. So there are ways to get experiences, not always in your core job, but also to stretch and be volunteer places, be on a board at something, take on a, a side hustle that makes sense. It doesn't conflict with your job in any way, but you can get pieces of experience in lots of ways. It doesn't have to be your core job. And sometimes it is. Sometimes you're just head down, cranking, doing your thing. And that's where it happens. But um, I have a lot of young people in my life. I have young adult children and spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff with them and really, really excited about what the younger generations are bringing and, and the sort of emerging professionals and emerging creators and makers and leaders. And I'm really inspired and learning a lot from them. <laughs> that is so true. I have I have kids in there who are kind of that young adult age too, and they are so impressive to me because they are they see it that way, and they see different learnings in different parts of their lives, and it's so less linear. And I'm I'm fascinated to see where you know where some of them are going to end up. But it's it's an interesting perspective and good advice to give a young woman that might be starting out in this industry as yeah. well. And I think we're seeing so many interesting things emerging in the sustainability space and the social impact space, really lots of new models coming and a lot of data showing that that emerging consumer is really willing to sacrifice to, um, to make a difference through their purchases. And I'll say, even in my own household, I had a, a kiddo home and I had had an accidentally ordered a subscription to repeat to a laundry detergent. And I had too much and I tried to give it to them to take with them mm -hmm. and they wouldn't take it because it wasn't clean. Okay. okay. I was like, you know what? All right. How are you going to afford to do your laundry? But good for you. <laughs> yeah, so, I get once in a while throwing away produce. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're willing to put their their resources and behavior, you know, against their values and, and to sacrifice for it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's exciting time to it's an exciting time to be in the industry and move things forward. And sustainability too is so much more broadly defined than it was in the past. And that's the beauty of it is you're building out all these systems because there's so many different components to it. Do you think that's true going forward? That maybe that umbrella will widen a little bit more too. I, I do. I, I you know at the co-op, we're thinking a lot about three core priorities. One is community food systems, which we've talked a little bit about here. Um, the other two are sustainable sourcing and no, responsible sourcing and sustainable operations. So those are the three core areas that we're, we're focusing in on. And there, there's lots of work within that. And when we're thinking about sustainability, we're certainly thinking about environmental sustainability, but we're also thinking about organizational sustainability and how are we setting up our co-op and our member community and participating in other parts of our community um, in a way that is sustainable and set up for long-range health, not just short-term impact, but um, creating systems that are nimble and can be responsive to things as opposed to it is what it is and it may die soon. You know, <laughs> At some point it's not useful. It'll be obsolete. We're really looking for resilience in systems. And, um, you know, we're learning that from, from the young leaders coming up. 
Oh, for sure. And we just talked about those young leaders. So they're going to be the ones that are, you know, and at some, le- at some level in some way, maybe not too far off. And then maybe even now it's an expectation um, versus a promise or an idea. Cause I think that there will become an expectation that that's how, to, that's how you do business. Absolutely. In a sustainable way. And that kind of goes to that, that whole concept of diversity and inclusion. And I continue to learn every day about those practices and really thinking a lot about diversity as an outcome of inclusion. And so we're really focused on that at PCC is thinking about how are we very intentional with being inclusive and, and what does that look like when we're thinking about sourcing and when we're thinking about um, giving and we're thinking about all, all the different pieces of it. Um, we're in the middle of conversations about how do we participate in different, we call them movements and moments, whether they're holiday, like, you know, Women's History Month, Black History Month, how do we participate in all of these things in ways that reflect our values and are not um, that are healthy and not tokenizing and not performative, but it's complex and we're, we're continuing to learn. But that inclusion piece is really important. And, and we believe that by being inclusive and learning, improving, constantly improving how we do that, that that diversity that will come as a result of that will make us stronger and more resilient. So it's a long range commitment. And it makes everybody feel good. I mean, and at the end of the day, when we feed ourselves and nourish ourselves, we want to feel good. And, and that really, that really, helps with that and really lifts that every doing good feeling good and it's just a better environment for everybody well yeah you think about it if we can you know mitigate those barriers to access for food if we can solve through food insecurity and make sure that all people have access to healthy nutritious food then it becomes an equity strategy right because each person's important it's not about who believes in what and what's most important it's really about every person is important and if they're nourished they will thrive and they will contribute to the world in the way that they want to or are meant to and it becomes an inclusion strategy. So there we go. All about the platform of food. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I think we'll leave it there to, for today. So um, I think you're going to have a busy year, Susan. It sounds like you really are. <laughs> <forward> over here. <laughs> we love it. We love hearing about what our top women are doing. So thank you again for joining us. Well, thank you for what you do. It's really terrific to, to bring forward um, leaders in the industry and particularly women. So thank you. Sure. And I have to get out there. You know, I, uh, I, need, I haven't been out to the to the West Coast in a while. So, uh, you know, that's going to be on my one of my things to do this year. I'd love to. Well, we'd love to have you. Seattle's a, a really wonderful city and the Pacific Northwest is gorgeous. Yeah, I can't wait to go. For more information about the Top Women in Grocery podcast, please visit ProgressiveGrocer.com backslash podcast. You can also subscribe to this series wherever you typically listen to podcasts, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. And if you have an idea for a twig topic, we want to hear from you. So you can go ahead and email me at lptrack at ensembleiq.com.